You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 25, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow my work on bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. As always, here to break down the quarterbacks around the league, coming into the league through the draft. He's quarterback one in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, buddy. Good to be with you. It's show number 25, I guess, the silver anniversary. Do they do gifts for podcast anniversaries? I don't think they do. I'm not sure. Oh. We, have, we have to make one. But as, as always, good to be with you. We'll start off with a little historical reference. And I want to talk about Commodus for a second. And it, it's interesting, you know, Commodus, the son of Marcus Aurelius, basically groomed from birth to become a leader by birth, right? Who slowly sort of descends into madness. And I could, I love where you're going with this. By the way, I want to throw out there, Game of Thrones spoiler is possibly coming. Is that right? Possibly <laughs> coming. I'm just saying. Because it has been part of the national conversation. You know, a yeah. leader groomed to lead by birth, right? Suddenly snapping at the sound of some bells. I mean, yeah. And we can go into that. But let's talk comments. I am reading right now a bunch of books, one of which the book that you gave me, The Rubicon by Mr. Tom Holland, which is fantastic. But I'm also reading The Popes by John Julius Norwich. I was also listening to a podcast about the Crusades. So anyways, this book was recommended. And I'm reading from this. The son and successor of Marcus Aurelius, Commodus, is generally considered one of the most vicious of the Roman emperors. Edward Gibbon, the first great historian to combine scholarship with a sense of humor, tells us that, and quoting from Gibbon now, his hours were spent in a serangelo of 300 beautiful women and as many boys of every rank in every province. And whenever the arts of seduction proved ineffectual, the brutal lover had recourse to violence. The ancient historians have expounded on these abandoned scenes of prostitution, which scorned every restraint of nature or modesty. But it would not be easy to translate their too faithful descriptions into the decency of a modern language. How incredible is that writing? Yeah, I love that. Is is Gibbon really a humorist? I didn't, I didn't know that. little sense of humor in there. And he, but, you know, Norwich continues. As he, Commodus, grew more and more in balance, the emperor identified himself with Hercules, again, this little descent into madness, and gave regular performances in the arena, slaughtering wild animals in a prodigious numbers, and even entering the lists as a gladiator. In this capacity, he's said to have made no fewer than 735 appearances, all of them, it need hardly be said, victorious assassination sooner or later was inevitable but it was somehow appropriate that the man who strangled him on 31st december 192 should have been a champion wrestler just throwing that out there for the people yeah he was ch he was choked in his bath he was in his bath and he got choked out from from like behind like from, from a wrestler and i think it's interesting because as you see with a lot of these different roman emperors some of the ones that start to see the whispers around them start to get louder and they start to get word that they're about to be offed, they get really paranoid and they start 
they start a purging, man. They start going. They start laying waste the cities at times. Perhaps. 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 So now that the Game of Thrones quasi-spoilers, I quasi? guess, are... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty direct, the correlation you made there. Are you watching Roman Emperor on Netflix? Is that where you got the interest from? That's part of where I got the interest from. Although, like I said, this book was recommended in that History of the Crusades podcast that you and I were yeah. actually talking about. Um, in one of the earlier shows about Pope Urban II, who gave his speech and sort of gave rise to the Crusades, although the first crusade was actually the the, the Pauper's Crusade. But yeah. this book was recommended in that, The Popes by John Julius Norwood. So I've started that. I'm working my way through Rubicon. This is what we do in May because <laughs> yeah. we could, you know, read books, get caught up on shows like Deadwood, Chernobyl. Highly recommend Chernobyl. You got to check that out on yeah. HBO. Or we could talk about Cody Kessler. And we are going to be talking about Cody Kessler, but. I mean, I think the gentle listeners can kind of see what we want with this show, but the draw of what we have to do and the task in front of us is pulling us towards the direction of a somewhat weak-armed quarterback who is proficient with anticipation throws. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. But I definitely want to plug again Rubicon by Tom Holland that you're working through right now. One of my favorite history books. If you want to get into Roman history, you love Roman history, I highly recommend that one. It is awesome. Okay. Let's get into it, Mark. All right. So the Eagles sign Cody Kessler, as we alluded to already, former Cleveland Browns and Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback. It is not the most exciting addition. I'll be very honest up front on that point. And here's the thing, though. With the way that the Eagles view the quarterback position, I think the front office places a lot of trust in Doug Peterson's feedback when it comes to identifying these targets. I think they place a lot of faith in Peterson's ability to develop quarterbacks, and I think they trust him to be able to mold his system to most effectively utilize whatever quarterback it is that they have in at the time. So that's three big factors there when it comes to quarterback development and utilizing them. And before I get into what that means for Kessler, I wanted to ask you a broader question about Doug Peterson. What coaches in the NFL right now have shown the ability to mold their offense around quarterback changes that represent a distinct shift in play style? So Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, Doug Peterson are the big names that came to mind for me, and maybe you could make a case for Frank Reich as well. Do you agree with those? Who am I missing? And this might come as a bit of a shock. I'm going to push back on one of those, and that's Bill Belichick, say Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien, because we can be honest in saying that through the entirety of Belichick's run in New England, he's had basically one quarterback in Tom Brady. And they've showed the ability to re- reinvent their offensive philosophy in a sense. Like at the start of last year, they were an 11 personnel team, one tight end, three wide receivers. They were going to spread you out. By the end of the season, they were a 21 personnel team. So they can change their overall philosophy. But it's been Tom Brady. And when they had to plug in other guys, they the only quarterback they sort of made a different change for was Jacoby Brissett when he had to start that Thursday night game. That's who I wanted to bring up. Like, is that, do you see that as more of an aberration that yeah. wouldn't last long term? Because that was such a niche game. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they basically wearing almost like the wing tee for him because it was a short week. Yeah. You know, and then, then the next week, they tried their regular offense with Jacoby Brissett. They lost to Buffalo. So I would sort of push back on. The Belichick aspect there. What's interesting is two of the names that I think you know you could totally make the case for are Andy Reid and a disciple of Andy Reid and Doug Peters. 
And I think Reed is a prime example of it because you look at what he did in just the past couple of years from Alex Smith. You know, they had some vertical elements at times, but this was more the pure West Coast Andy Reed offense to now it's basically West Coast on uber steroids with Patrick Mahomes. And think too, Andy, back in Philadelphia, you're talking Michael Vick, you're talking Nick Foles, you're talking Donovan McNabb, like different yeah, types Yeah, I mean, of completely different types of quarterbacks. And I think Shanahan is an interesting case there as well because, you know, obviously in Atlanta, you know, we have Matt Ryan, you have Julio Jones, you can have more of a vertical element to it. Didn't see as much of the stuff that he's doing now with sort of a 21 personnel lean to that offense. I mean, they used 21 personnel more than any other team last year. I think it was like 42% of their thro- of their plays overall. But they threw the ball a ton out of 21 personnel. Um, something I'm working through right now is how three different offensive head coaches or offensive coordinators use personnel in different ways to dictate things to the defense. Sean McVay and his use of 11 personnel to get light boxes for Todd Gurley. Shanahan, like we were just talking about, with 21 personnel, using it more than any other team in the league, that number, that exact number is 42%. 230 of their plays last year were out of 21 personnel, but they threw it on 46% of those plays for a passer rated of 85.9, 7.9 yards per attempt, right. 7.7 air yards per attempt. And a lot of that was, remember, with C.J. Beathard and Nick Mullins. Josh McDaniels and the different ways he uses personnel to get mismatches. Again, they use 21 personnel 28% of the time, second most in the league, 220 offensive plays, and they threw the ball just 41% of the time out of it, but for a passer rated of 99.2, four passing touchdowns, 7.7 yards per attempt, 7.9 air yards per attempt. And so using personnel is huge, but taking it back to sort of the initial point, the ability to sort of tailor your offense to the skill set of your quarterbacks, a new and emerging art, I'd say, in the National Football League, because for so often it's been, this is our system, this is what we run, and we'll get our quarterback to run it. No, now you're seeing the smarter head coaches or offensive coordinators tailor the offense around the skill set of the player. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for the Eagles, you know, one thing that they really value from my armchair quarterback view of things, a quantifiable winning trait in a quarterback, regardless of what it is, So it could be deep ball accuracy with an arm like Sudfeld. It could be the ability to work quick timing concepts in the short game like Clayton Thorson. It could be huge arm hero ball with dynamic ability in the intermediate areas like uh, Carson Wentz. Nick Foles wins on zero to one step stuff. And and then he factors in that fearlessness when it comes into taking shots when they're available pre-snap. But they're all different quarterbacks with different defining traits. But the point is that they at least have one one that they know that they can work with and mold their offense around to run it effectively. For Kessler, I think it's more the lines of the quick timing concepts like Thorson, the zero to one step stuff with Foles. And you can correct me if I'm wrong there, Mark, but Pro Football Focus does these different articles throughout the offseason, really honing in on one factor for a certain position. And they did this with quarterbacks and their depth of target. They kind of broke it up that way. So they gave their top five in accurate ball placement to three levels of the field, not completion percentage, but accurate ball placement. So from a depth of zero to nine yards, Cody Kessler came in fifth with 72.3%, fifth in the league now you say okay it's only zero to nine yards yeah but that's the type of offense that they're probably going to run with him in there and while that depth isn't exciting the best way to get more out of that is by having excellent ball placement which helps your receivers create more yards after the catch so that ball placement accuracy for Kessler ranked higher than Tom Brady 
Russell Wilson, Matt Ryan, and others. It's something to work with. And keep in mind, overall, 18th in ball placement overall in the league. So that's what I'm talking about when I say, does that quarterback have something tangible to hold on to? Do they have a winning trait? And can they work with it while understanding the limitations of that quarterback so you can surround that quarterback with the situations he needs to be successful? I think Doug Peterson does that very well. So before we talk about some of the limitations with Kessler, because trust me, they are there. Uh, Let's talk about how Kessler, where he wins, how he fits. Like I said, Kessler, not going to be the aggressive Wentz-style quarterback. He's not going to see the cover one, chuck it deep with accuracy like Sudfeld. He's going to be more the Clayton Thorson style, timing and rhythm, hit and throw. And by hit and throw, I'm talking about like hitting that third step in your drop and delivering without a hitch or anything. You see it, throw it. That's where the Eagles, if they should need to call on him, and let's face it, if he makes the roster, but that short area, bing-bang type passing attack, and it helps him that he landed with a coach in Doug Peterson that understands how to construct that offense around him, and it helps that he's got talent around him, but also he's a guy that's really going to benefit if he needs to from having a scent hound like Zach Ertz that's able to sniff open those short to intermediate areas of space, really give him clear defined targets that he can rely on. So, Mark, I threw a lot at you there. So I'm curious to see where you go with this. Open-ended to you, good sir. Take it wherever you want. Let's sort of start with Cody Kessler, the prospect. I'm going to go back to my the profile I wrote for him over at Inside the Pylon in April of 2016 when I closed out the portion of his strengths. When it comes to simply throwing routes, Kessler is a quarterback who thrives on using time and anticipation to complete passes. He makes very quick decisions, particularly in the short passing game. And on many of these throws, his footwork and release is timed up very well, if not ahead of, the route and break by his receivers. He puts his receivers in position to pick up yardage after the catch on many of his passes, but getting the ball out quickly and putting the football right on the receiver the instant after his break, preventing the coverage from converging on his wide receiver. He is generally accurate, particularly on shorter routes. That was his main strength when I identified him, when I studied him. Yeah. It was that ability to That's sort it. of I – did, I did not read that beforehand. I had no idea that that was your take, but I feel like we're basically saying the yeah. same thing. Here. That was his his strength as a passer. And in addition, you know, you know, the ability to sort of stay calm in the cauldron and beat the blitz and things like that, his footwork and things like that. It was his ability to sort of execute on time and rhythm throws in the short game and to get his receivers yardage after the catch opportunities. And, you know, you mentioned sort of strengths of each of these quarterbacks for the Eagles. And that's something that I think we've always started to flesh out in different ways as we study quarterbacks and talk about them is you need to have a trump card. Yeah. Now, the more you have, great. Like the more great traits you have, obviously the better the situation, but you've got to have something you can hand your hat on. And for Kessler, it is sort of that accuracy, that ball placement in the short area of the field to get the receivers opportunities after the catch. Now, you mentioned that sort of number five grade from PFF on throws and that zero to nine yard range. Well, going back again, this is something I did in March of 2018, looking at throws by distance in the 2017 season and Deshaun Watson throws, you know, in that one to 10 yard range made up 46.6% of his total throws. Deshaun Kaiser, 45.4. Carson Wentz, 48.9. Matt Ryan, 48. Josh McGowan, 52.9. C.J. Beathard, 55.8. Aaron Rodgers, 50.8. Trevor Simeon, who was with Denver that year, 53.9. For every single quarterback, you were looking at 42 or more percent of your throws came in that zero to nine, one to 10 yard range. 
That's where NFL offenses do the bulk of their work. Right. While Kessler has deficiencies as a quarterback, arm strength chief among them. For what you ask quarterbacks to do in today's NFL, he could do the bulk of it. And that's why, you know, when it comes to sort of evaluated arm talent, I do think it matters more that I've it carries more weight, I think, than I've given it in the past. But you still have to sort of weigh it appropriately. It's not sort of the be-all and end-all because you can survive in the National Football League and be very successful in the National Football League without an overpowering arm. Yeah, you just need really a baseline arm to really get by. So that's a highlight of Kessler's game, the strengths, what you can do with him at your quarterback position. When we come back here on the QBSCO Show, episode 25, we're going to be talking about some limitations, and then we're going to take a more broad view and kind of project Kessler out and see if he can make this Eagles roster. That's next here on the QBSCO Show. And we are back here on Bleeding Green Nation here on the QBSCO Show talking Cody Kessler. So before the break, we talked about some of his strengths. Now let's talk about some of Cody Kessler's limitations in terms of of his limitations, I think the biggest thing you're going to see, and Eagles fans are so leery of this after Sam Bradford, but you're going to see a quarterback that throws short of the sticks often. Uh, What's weird is people really don't identify this with somebody like Nick Foles, but out of 39 quarterbacks in the league, in average air yards to the sticks, Foles was 38th, Kessler was 39th, negative 2.5 and 2.7 air yards to the sticks, respectively. I think we missed that with Foles because, and I've talked about this already, but the spinach that he eats when he sees cover one press pre-snap and then he takes those shots. But I think you definitely notice it more with Kessler. He's also less aggressive too overall, just in terms of tight windows. Last year came in 37th of 39th in next-gen stats aggressiveness metric, which measures how often a quarterback is willing to throw into those tight windows. And I think that is because of something that you mentioned before the break was the lack of arm strength to be able to fit it into those windows, especially downfield. Would you agree with that, Mark? Let's turn to paragraph one of my weaknesses section on the Cody Kessler scouting profile. (laughs) A big question mark surrounding Kessler is his arm strength. It was sufficient for him at USC to challenge small throwing windows in the shorter areas of the field. But when facing tougher throwing lanes in the intermediate and deep passing game, his arm lacks the pure velocity to challenge those situations and enjoy success, even with years of film available. It is tough to point to a play where he drives the football into a tough throw at window with velocity on a throw greater than 20 yards. He will need to find a way to add velocity to his passes during his transition or, as is more likely, be utilized in an offense that thrives on the shorter passing game with the occasional deep shot, which he can deliver with touch and accuracy. I mean, I th- that's it in a sort of a nutshell. <laughs> and I think that's how Doug Peterson is going to view him. You know, he's a quarterback that... The bulk of the throws be the quick passing game, and you'll scheme some deep shots. And it might be a situation where, like you were just talking about with Foles, you see cover one press, and you get a chance to sort of just arbor to a go route on the boundary to an Alshon Jeffrey. You know, you'll take your chances there, but you're not going to see him. You know, drive it in, throw with velocity on a dig route to twenty, you know, twenty yards or so over the middle of the field between two linebackers in front of a safety. That's just not his game. Now, another weakness with him is quicksand. When you see him make a mistake, it can get compounded. For example, his game against Washington, the first three plays of this game is an example of him fighting some quicksand. And this is, again, Washington when he was in college, not Washington Redskins here. But first pass and attempt of the game, he's flustered, cannot find an open receiver, and takes a sack. Second pass and attempt, he stares down a route along the sideline and throws an interception. On his third pass and attempt, USC runs a spot concept. He foregoes the open snag route over the middle to throw a check down to his running back in the flat, but the play is read well by the defense. It goes for a big loss, almost actually a safety. 
and you could see it in that play two to play three. He throws a pick. He comes back. He gets scared of throwing the open route, checks it down, and gets his guy in a position where instead of getting yardage after the catch, he gets chopped down behind a lot of scrimmage just nearly a safety. And so that brings into question sort of the mentality. Is he aggressive enough? And with quarterbacks who don't have the arm talent, and I know we just spent like 20 minutes talking about how arm talent doesn't really matter. Well, (laughs) there are ways that it does. If it makes you more conservative, if you will forego – open opportunities downfield to check the ball down because you're afraid that you can't get that throw in there, that's going to be a problem. And I love that you mentioned quicksand because it's something that's not talked about enough with quarterbacks, and that's mental toughness. The ability to make a mistake and then bounce back from it in-game. Like, boom, you're back on the field, sudden change, you're on there, and you're in it. And, I mean, that was like a big concern. For instance, you watched the the Josh Allen game against Iowa, and he's completely in quicksand in that game, talking about the Buffalo Bills quarterback, Josh Allen. But that's a very important part of the game, the mental aspect for a quarterback. So, Mark, let's take a broader view. When we do these evaluations, we give them a certain designation in their overall summary statement. So to explain that for you, dental listener, there are three levels of starters. There's starters you win because of, starters you win with, and starters that you win in spite of. I think it's very clear what those mean. And if not, I'll illustrate that with an example. In my amateur opinion, Carson Wentz is a quarterback you win because of. Dak Prescott is a quarterback you win with. Eli Manning, especially at this point of his career, is a quarterback you win in spite of. With Cody Kessler, first of all, I'm giving him a backup designation. But I do think he's a capable spot starter that you can win in spite of. He's going to need some help, but he can be there for the W if things fall the right way for him and he won't necessarily screw it up. Mark, would you agree or disagree with that? One to three year projection on Cody Kessler. Again, I swear I didn't didn't read this. I I swear I didn't read this. He reminds me very much of Colt McCoy, the former Texas Longhorn, currently the number two behind Kirk Cousins in Washington. He projects to be a high-end backup slash spot starter in the NFL who can come off the bench and give the offense perhaps 80% of what the starter can. There is tremendous value in having a number two like Kessler. And even if he tops out as a long-term backup spot starter, I believe he will enjoy a long career in the league. Yeah, those guys stick around, man. Those guys stick around. You know, the value in having somebody like that that can, like I said, give you 80% of the offense. That's a quarterback that maybe you would say you win in spite of. But it's not bad to have a guy in that mold as your backup. Right. It's bad when you have that guy in that mold as your starter. Shout out Blake Bortles. Yeah. But your backup, that's okay. And in this situation, to have a guy like that that's probably at best your number three, Mm. that's – you can't really complain about that. Because I know one of the gentle listeners was asking – I'm pulling up the name right now – Mike Marach. At Mike, M-I-K-E-M-A-R-I-C-H-H. Solid. You know, he had asked you sort of, does he have any real shot of taking the backup spot? He thinks it goes once Sudfeld Kessler with Thorson on the practice squad. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. You know, I, I think the view, given what they've done with Sudfeld and how they've handled him with a second round tender, they view him as the number two guy, yeah. you know, behind Wentz. I think Kessler is probably going to be the number three. They've liked to have multiple quarterbacks, three quarterbacks. They did it last year. So I would expect that they would do that. And have it invested in Cody Kessler, a, a draft pick. I mean, not Cody Kessler, Clayton Thorson. They're probably going to find a way to get him onto the practice squad because they're going to want to see what they have because 
this roster at the quarterback spot could look a lot different this time next year if Sudfeld leaves via free agency, number one. Maybe Kessler doesn't live up to what you're hoping he lives up to. And then you might be down to Wentz and Thorson before you know it. I do think Mike is right in sort of how I view this quarterback room playing out. But there's value in having a guy like Cody Kessler. He will fit with what Doug Peterson wants to do, the bulk of what Doug Peterson wants to do. And you can get him some scheme shots downfield. Not bad for QB3. Not at all. And Benjamin Solak kind of bucked back on this when I said it. So I want to kind of follow up on this. But I said when they drafted him, I don't even know if Clayton Thorson, you know, makes the team. He he might be a practice squad guy. Are you concerned if you're the Eagles that you spend a fifth round pick on this guy that if you put him on the practice squad, knowing what we because we talked about this, knowing what we know about how the league viewed Thorson coming off of his ACL injury going into 2018 with that going on. That early in the year when Senior Bowl director Jim Nagy reached out to these teams and pulled 10 teams, all of 10 teams said that he was possibly a second or third round guy. Does the league view him high enough to at that point where they are trimming down the rosters to say, no, 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 we want this guy instead? Is that a risk for the Eagles? I mean, it's a potential risk, but there's a couple of ways to view that. One, what's the general hit rate on what fifth round picks to begin with? Yeah. So it's not like you invested a second round pick in them. So that's one way to look at it. Another way is it's one thing when you ask, you know, a pro personnel director or head scout or, you know, an area scout, yeah, how do you feel about this guy? And you ask him, say, in December, oh, yeah, he's probably a day two pick. That's in a vacuum. It's a different thing when come cut down day, it's like, this is our roster. Here's who's out there available. Oh, well, let's go get this guy. Like the calculus changes. I don't think it's that much of a risk. Is there a chance that somebody might want to poach him? Sure. But if it's in a situation where the roster has played out this way and you're happy with Wentz and Sudfeld and Kessler and you're trying to stash him on the practice squad and somebody poaches him, well, you know, losing a practice squad player is one thing. It's not like a team would have the opportunity to sign him away from your active roster. So here's an interesting thing I was, I was thinking about while you were talking there. You know, when, you, when someone asks you during the season, like if they're asking like me or you, what do you think about this guy? And you're not really sure. And you kind of throw out that day two out there because it's like the coward's way out. You know, you're not saying you hate him. You're not right. saying you love him kind of thing. I think the same thing can happen with NFL teams, especially if they want to see him at the senior bowl. You know, he's a, he's a day two guy. Why not? Right. Well, well, it's the old sort of scout and saw type story, right? <laughs> it's where everybody hedges. Yeah. You know, you get a guy and you don't know what to do with him. Oh, I put a fourth on him. <laughs> and so if the guy pans out and he's drafted late, what do you expect? I put a fourth round grade on him. <laughs> If the guy doesn't work out, well, I mean, I only had a fourth on him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's how people hedge. And so it could be the same thing. Like, what do you think about this guy? Oh, he's a day two pick. Yeah. Well, it's not day one. You're not really early on the guy. And it's not day three. You're not saying he's like barely draftable. He's right there in the middle. It's a nice, safe, warm spot to be when you're just like thrown out an evaluation. And so yeah. that could have been it at work. Like, Jim Nagy's caught up all these scouts. Oh, I don't want to talk about Clay. He's a day two guy. <laughs> he could be picked 96. He could be picked 33. We're not sure, yeah. but we'll say day two. We're not sure, but he's somewhere in that little mix. It's, it's a nice, nice little bell curve somewhere in there. He's near the top of it, okay? Where everybody else is. Do you think, and this is an interesting question too, do you think if Clayton Thorson turns into Cody Kessler that that's a win for him? I Probably. <laughs> coming from where, and again, I was down him coming into this draft process and it might just be another situation where we on the outside sort of 
our views didn't quite line up with how the NFL viewed some of these guys. Brett yeah. Rippin, of course, is a big matzo ball of an alley out there for me right now. Although, let's be fair, Broncos gave him some guaranteed money, they and there are already rumblings out of Denver that he's looking great. I'm just saying. Yep. Do we got you know RG three Kirk Cousins two point here? I'm just saying. <laughs> If we're sitting here three years from now, we're talking about Brett Rippon starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. I will take all those W's, but I digress. Yes, we're, we'll well, be, no, hold on. No, we won't digress on that. We will dunk on everyone. Go ahead, Mark. No, I mean, more than likely, I'm going to be eating those L's, but that's okay. Some people <laughs> in this industry are transparent and eat their L's. Others sweep them under the rug and move on. Not mentioning <laughs> any names. Not mentioning yeah. any names. Dracaris. Anyway, so – and, you know, as for Clayton Thorson, like if he ends up into a Cody Kessler role where people end up viewing him as a guy that could be a long-term backup spot starter type, I think that's a win for him. Mark, I think that's going to do it. That's that's all the Cody Kessler talk that can we, we just can manage. Tell the gentle listeners, like on Monday when you and I were talking about this show, we were like, "How are we going to do <laughs> a show on Cody Kessler? Like, how are we going to do it?" Yeah. And we did it. I think we delivered today. I'm proud of the effort we put in. That just tells you, though, that's a little bit of foreshadowing or poor character development about the next couple of weeks of the show. <laughs> I mean, tune in for your Deadwood rewatch, gentle listeners, because yeah. there's actually a lot going on. We had to stand up to pull this one out of our butts, but I think we yeah. did a good job. <laughs> I mean, let's tune in for the Cole McDonald hour here at Blue Green Nation. I love it. So stay tuned for more quarterback talk we'll figure it out we'll find a way we always do uh here on the qb sco show on bleeding green nation remember if you haven't yet smashed that subscribe button leave five stars leave a funny review we'll read it on a future show on the kiss and solak show make sure you're caught up with all of your bgn radio listening check out the special uh jersey hashtag jersey number analytics show with brandon lee gowton and benjamin solak if you want to break from serious analysis although i take it super serious jersey number analytics are a thing and i've been pounding the table for them for a while so make sure you listen to that and keep it locked on here here on the qb sco show and bleeding green nation <laughs>